Hello, friends, and welcome to Spark My Muse. This is Soul School Lesson 232, Anthony of the Desert. Today I'm going to bring you something from the book The Way of the Heart, The Spirituality of the Desert Fathers and Mothers by Henry Nowen. This very slender book, written about desert spirituality, was written in 1981. It was particularly helpful for me as I wrote about desert spirituality in my book The Wild Land Within. I gained so much from these desert fathers and mothers and the spiritual guidance that came out of the desert in the three, four, and five hundreds of the Christian era. And what I'm going to do is read some excerpts starting with the introduction on page 19. And before I read, one more thing is that where Henry Nowen writes ministry, I'm going to change that to life and generalize it for us. Those of you listening are broader than ministers in general. And if you'd like to read this book for yourself, I hope you will read all of Henry Nowen's books, but this especially is very helpful to understand the, the powers of solitude, understanding how we can become refined spiritually through this wisdom that the Desert Fathers and Mothers worked out for us so many years ago. On page 19, Henry Nowen writes, St. Anthony, called the Father of Monks, is the best guide in our attempt to understand the role of solitude in life or ministry. Born around 251, Anthony was the son of Egyptian peasants. When he was about 18 years old, he heard in church the gospel words, Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then come and follow me in Matthew 19:21. Anthony realized that these words were meant for him personally. After a period of living as a poor laborer at the edge of his village, he withdrew into the desert where for 20 years he lived in complete solitude. During these years, Anthony experienced a terrible trial. The shell of his superficial securities was cracked and the abyss of iniquity was opened to him. But he came out of this trial victoriously, not because of his own willpower or ascetic exploits, but because of his unconditional surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When he emerged from his solitude, people recognized in him the qualities of an authentic, healthy man, whole in body, mind, and soul. They flocked to him for healing, comfort, and direction. In his old age, Anthony retired to an even deeper solitude, to be totally absorbed in direct communion with God. He died in the year 356, when he was about 106 years old. The story of St. Anthony, as told by St. Athanasius, shows that we must be made aware of the call to let our false self, compulsive self, be transformed into the new self of Jesus Christ. It also shows that solitude is the furnace in which this transformation takes place. Finally, it reveals that it is from this transformed or converted self that real ministry or life flows. I therefore propose to explore these three aspects of St. Anthony's life in the hope of uncovering the problem as well as the opportunities in our life or ministry. Thomas Merton writes in the introduction to his The Wisdom of the Desert, 
that society was regarded by the desert fathers and mothers as a shipwreck from which each single individual had to swim for their life. These were those who believed that to let oneself drift along passively, accepting the tenets and values of what they knew as society, was purely and simply a disaster. This observation leads us straight to the core of the problem. Our society is not a community radiant with the love of Christ, but a dangerous network of domination and manipulation in which we can easily get entangled and lose our own soul. The basic question is whether we, as people of Jesus Christ, have not already been so deeply molded by the seductive powers of our dark world that we have become blind to our own and other people's fatal state and have lost the power and the motivation to swim for our lives. Just look for a moment at our daily routine. In general, we are very busy people. We have many meetings to attend, many visits to make, many jobs to do. Our calendars are filled with appointments, our days and weeks are filled with engagements, our years are filled with plans and projects. There is seldom a period in which we do not know what to do, and we move through life in such a directed way that we do not even take the time and rest to wonder if any of the things we think, say, or do are worth thinking, saying, or doing. We simply go along with the many musts and oughts that have been handed on to us, and we live with them as if they were authentic translations of the gospel of our Lord. People must be motivated to come to church, youth must be entertained, money must be raised, and above all, everyone must be happy. Moreover, we ought to be on good terms with the church and civil authorities and neighbors. We ought to be liked or at least respected by a fair majority of people. We ought to move up in the ranks according to schedule. We ought to have enough vacation and salary to live a comfortable life. Thus, we are busy people, just like all the other busy people, rewarded with rewards which are rewarded to busy people. All this is simply to suggest how horrendously secular our lives or ministries can tend to be. Why is this so? Why do we children of the light so easily become conspirators with the darkness? The answer is quite simple. Our identity, our sense of self, is at stake. Secularity is the way of being dependent on the responses of our milieu. Our secular or false self is the self which is fabricated, says Thomas Merton, by social compulsions. Compulsive is indeed the best adjective for the false self. It points to the need for ongoing and increasing affirmation. Who am I? Am I the one who is liked, praised, admired, disliked, hated, or despised? Whether I am a pianist, a business person, a minister, what matters is how I am perceived by my world. If being busy is a good thing, then I must be busy. If having money is a signal of real freedom, then I must claim my money. If knowing many people proves my importance, I will have to make the necessary contacts. The compulsion manifests itself in the lurking fear of failing, and the steady urge to prevent this by gathering more of the same, more work, more money, more friends. 
these very compulsions are at the basis of the two main enemies of the spiritual life, anger and greed. They are the inner side of a secular life, the sour fruits of our worldly dependencies. What else is anger than the impulsive response to the experience of being deprived? When my sense of self depends on what others say of me, anger is a quite natural reaction to a critical word. And when my sense of self depends on what I can acquire, greed flares up when my desires are frustrated. Thus, greed and anger are the brother and sister of a false self fabricated by the social compulsions of an unredeemed world. This slender book, The Way of the Heart, is just jam-packed full of impressive and needed wisdom like that. Though this book is directed mostly at ministers, it completely can be generalized into our lives as busy people. And of course, this was written long before the internet and Web 3.0 and all those social media connections and interactions were part of our normal lives as they are today. They're constantly keeping our attention and keeping us addicted to being connected in certain kinds of ways, many of which are superficial, compulsive ways that keep us distracted from much more worthwhile aims or much more ways of being that are more grounded and deeper and connect us with true intimacy with God and others. A couple things stand out to me. Nowen mentions that the two main enemies of the spiritual life are anger and greed. I believe, too, that he is speaking from his context and his purview as a cleric, a man in vocational life, a white man who has had opportunities in education. And truly, anger and greed are something that we all wind up experiencing in one way or another. But it's interesting how he locates these and how he talks about how these ways that needle into our spiritual life and wind up deteriorating our growth. And greed in terms of acquisition of different kinds, greed for connection, greed for money, greed for influence, and any kind of acquisition that would help our status or material accumulation. Because Henry Nowen speaks so candidly about his own weaknesses and works them into the texts and explores them so genuinely himself, his books tend to be incredibly spiritually helpful and formative for us. He doesn't hold back and do some kind of objective exploration. It's all very personal. It's all things that he struggles with himself and wrestles with. So when he begins speaking about someone like St. Anthony, it's because he has explored St. Anthony as it relates to him and his own struggles. St. Anthony spent many years alone in the desert. And that wasn't because he was just a pious man wanting an ascetic life. It was a way to find spiritual refinement. And for him to achieve this, he felt called to sell all he had and give to the poor, to live among the poor, and to become poor in spirit. Because all those things were obstacles. It was a way to get from the trappings to a rich and deeper spiritual life. That was a personal choice of his that he could attend to because he was open to the Spirit. I think many times we are reluctant to look too deeply because 
what if that requires change on our part? What if that change is going to hurt or be inconvenient or create discomfort? Truly, as Henry Nowen speaks about the way of the heart, it's something we have to slow down to see. It's something we have to reckon with. And it's something that will probably make us uncomfortable, at least at times. But that discomfort leads us into ways that are more sustaining, more peaceful, and eventually make us more whole. As you may have noticed, if you've been listening to Spark My Muse this year, you probably have noticed that I've interviewed far fewer people. I've been trying to get back to basics. I've been trying to make it easier to produce this show once a week. Having guest interviews takes a lot more time, although it's very enjoyable. It takes three or four times the amount of effort and time that doing a solo episode does. I will continue to do guest episodes and feature authors and scientists and other people of interest on here, but I want to make sure to have enough margin in my own life to do some exploration and find my own way of the heart. Something I'm working on right now in terms of a book project is really digging deeply into some of these ways of the heart that are territory I haven't explored yet in article or book form. And it seems to take a lot more out of me. And so that's another reason why I'm scaling things down. So I hope you'll stay tuned for some of those nuggets I'll be revealing pretty soon in terms of this new project. And go to sparkmymuse.com to hear other episodes. There are more than 460 episodes, although you might only see 150 or so listed. They go back to 2015. Many guests and many topics are covered that I know you'll enjoy, so dig around a little bit on the website and see what you can find. I'm blogging at Substack right now, and you can find a link to that at each episode at sparkmymuse.com. You can link over there and you can subscribe. If you are a paid subscriber, you get extra benefits, you get access to every single bit of every post, and also you can get in on some live discussions and events. I thank you so much for listening. I ask that you might pass this along to someone else. I'll see you next week. Blessing and peace to you.